Well, I hope you've been encouraged this morning through our time of worshiping Christ together. At this time, I'd invite you to take your Bibles and open them to the little book of Jonah, the Old Testament prophet Jonah. This will be our second time in the book of Jonah. Last week, uh, we started this short study, and today we're going to be in the second chapter of the book of Jonah. Now, there's a lot of stuff we talked about last week. You could go back and listen to that. But of the many things that we did talk about, one thing that makes the book stand out from all of the other Old Testament prophets is that God doesn't call Jonah to preach to Israel about what he's going to do with other nations like Assyria or specifically the city of Nineveh. Like God doesn't tell Jonah, go tell Israel that I'm going to judge Nineveh so that Israel doesn't need to be afraid. No, no. What God tells Jonah to do instead is he tells Jonah, you go to Nineveh and warn them that I'm about to judge them. And that's what sets up the whole story of Jonah. And as I said last week, Jonah was a true prophet of the Lord. And and I think he would have been willing to do just about anything that God called him to do, but not this. God calls him to the very thing that he was unwilling to do. So when God calls Jonah in the first verses and says, get up and go to Nineveh, we read Jonah got up and he went away from Nineveh. He goes the opposite direction. He gets on a boat to flee from the presence of the Lord. But he can't get away. God, while Jonah's out on the boat, hurls a a wind at the boat. And Jonah is there with these sailors, and the sailors eventually start hurling all their cargo overboard. And eventually they come to Jonah, and, and they realize that this is happening because of Jonah. And though they don't want to, they hurl him off the boat into the sea for him to die. Now that's where we left Jonah last week, was sinking to the bottom of the sea, headed to a watery grave. And there's nothing that he or anyone else can do to save him at that moment. And the truth is, Jonah has gotten what he wanted, right? He's gotten out of his call. He's gotten away from the presence of the Lord. That's why he ran. And now we come to chapter 1, verse 17. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Okay, so so back in chapter 1 of Jonah, verse 4, the Lord sends the wind, and now the Lord sends the fish. And I really think that if we had never heard of Jonah before, we would conclude that this verse is the end of a really sad story, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot of directions, you know, the story can go once the main character gets swallowed by a fish, right? But then verse 17, again, now it says, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so wait a second, like, so this, the fish swallows him and yet 
we're still reading about what's going on with him. I mean, what's the deal with that? He's, he's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. I mean, what's he doing in there? Decomposing, being digested? You know, why is this in the story? Where is this story going? It's still not clear yet. But then we read chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And it's here that we finally realize God didn't send that fish to kill him. God sent the fish to save him. And finally, we find out that Jonah prayed. Do you remember from chapter 1 that amazing scene on the boat where the pagan captain of the boat is coming down and waking up Jonah and saying to the prophet of the Lord, Man, why aren't you praying? Pray to your God. Everybody on the boat, all the pagan sailors, are crying out to whatever gods they've heard about or know about, gods that have no ears, have no eyes, gods that cannot hear. And Jonah's the only one who has a God who can hear him, and he won't pray. But from the belly of the fish, he prays. And for the rest of the chapter, if you look at Jonah 2, we don't read a story. Instead, we hear a song. We listen to the prayer of Jonah. Look at verse 2. And Jonah prayed, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. This is, this, this is like a summary of the whole chapter, of the whole story. Out of the belly of Sheol, or as another translation says, from deep in the realm of the dead. I called out for help, and you heard my voice. I was on the brink of death. I called, and you answered. Verse 3, For you, Lord, cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. That's interesting, right? You, Lord, threw me into the sea. But wasn't it the sailors, right? who hurled him out, and yet Jonah knows it wasn't ultimately them. That's not why he ended up in the sea. It was God who threw him into the sea. Verse 3 again, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. The floods surround him. The waves pass over him. He's thinking, I'm sinking to my death completely alone, as isolated as you could be. No way to even utter a sound. Then I said, I'm driven away from the presence of the Lord, from the sight of God. Think about that. Isn't that exactly what Jonah wanted? He did all he could in chapter 1, to do what? To flee from the presence of the Lord, to get away from God. And now he's sinking like a stone in the sea, and he has gotten what he wanted, right? 
He's there, away from the presence of the Lord. He feels like he's banished. And what does he realize? He doesn't actually want this. Verse 4 again. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I will again look on your holy temple. For the first time, he opens his eyes. He looks back. He looks up toward the temple, which for a Jew would be the very place where God's presence dwells, right? He's done everything he can to get out of the presence, away from the presence of the Lord. And now as he's dying, he says, I'll look one more time toward the presence of the Lord. But unfortunately, we know it's too late, right? There's... He's too far away. Certainly seems that way. But verse 5 goes on. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deeps surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. You can sense the downward fall. The weeds around my head. I mean, picture it. The bars of death closing in the gates are shutting i have no more hope it's my last seconds verse six again yet you you brought up my life out of the pit O lord my god when my life was fainting away i remembered the lord and my prayer reached you in your holy temple when there was no one else to help when i couldn't find my footing when death was about to swallow me up forever i remembered you lord and my cries came into your temple and you lord reached out your hand into the depths of the sea and grabbed hold of me. You gave me life again. Now listen to what he says in verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. You see, seeing God's deliverance, feeling God's hand reaching in and, and grabbing a hold of him has reminded Jonah of the worthlessness of all other pursuits, of, of all other gods. It also reminds us that this guy is a real worshiper of the true God. When his life is slipping away, he doesn't call out to other gods. He knows nothing else can help him. Instead, his eyes are lifted to his God, the God who made him. And notice what he says. Those who run after other gods have, have no hope of ever experiencing Love, steadfast love. You see, you can't, you can't get steadfast covenant love from any other God. You can run after other gods, gods of wood and stone. You can chase after the gods of, of money or sex or power or fame. And none will ever love you, not even a little bit. I love how the Net Bible translates this. 
It says about verse 8, those who worship worthless idols forfeit the mercy that could be theirs. There's one God who made you and who loves you. And if you turn from him, Jonah is saying that you forfeit the mercy and the love that could have been yours. So he says, I I will look to no one else now but to you, Lord. Verse 9, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Isn't that interesting? I will sacrifice. I'll shout thanksgiving. I'll worship. I will do what I am promising. Seems like God's prophet is just lagging a little behind the sailors on the boat, right? Think about it. They prayed before he did. They committed to offer sacrifices to the Lord before he did. They committed to worship before he did, right? And yet earlier is better than later. But, but yes, later is better than never. And Jonah says, but I, with the shouts of praise, will sacrifice to you, Lord. What I've promised, I will fulfill. And then he concludes in verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. This, I think, is at least part of what Jonah was struggling with at the beginning of the book. That salvation is God's choice. It's completely from him. I think he was struggling earlier with why would God even want to give the people of Nineveh a chance to be saved from the coming judgment. They don't deserve the warning. I think this is at least part of what Jonah was struggling with. But, but God is a God who can do whatever he wants. God is a God who shows mercy to whomever he wants. And what it took for Jonah to wake up to that was himself sinking to death because of his own sin and realizing that God did not let him die. Instead, God saved him anyway. Not because he had to, but because God loved him. And so he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And the song is done. And the story continues. Now to the nasty end of the fish story. Jonah 2 verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish. I wonder what that was like. And it, and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. Now some of us might not even like the smell of fish. So we can only imagine this. The fish probably very happily in obedience to God vomits Jonah out on the dry land. And we can imagine, only imagine, how Jonah bears the marks in his body of how he ran from the Lord. He bears the stench 
of his former sins. But at least he's alive. God has given him a second chance. God's not done with his man yet. Now, of all the chapters in Jonah, this is probably the one that I was least familiar with. And so it's been good. It's been good for me to pause and think about the song. After all, I think that's a lot of why it's there, right? This song slows down a really fast story so that we have to slow down and think about God and what he's doing in Jonah's life. Now, one of the questions I think we might have as we think back to the song is, is like, what, what am I really supposed to do with a song written from such a specific, unique experience? I mean, we would have to admit that it is very unlikely that we're going to drown anytime soon. And certainly more unlikely that we would ever be swallowed by a big fish. I mean, you agree with that? I, I, I think that is fairly unique, you know, right? So, so since he wrote this in regard to that, does it not relate to us? You know, it, maybe you've wrestled with this even as we've thought about it. But, here, but here's the thing. Part of the reason these songs are in the Bible is because the truths of the songs in the Bible transcend the specific experience of the writer. <laughs> and specifically in Jonah's song, I mean, think about this. The same language that's used in this song about literally sinking in the sea is actually used in many songs in the Bible, written by people who are facing all sorts of emotions and experiences and suffering. I mean, earlier in our service, we, we read from Psalm 42. Do you remember that? How the psalmist is speaking to himself about why he's so down, downhearted and depressed. All right? He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil? Hope in God, for I will again praise him, my salvation and my God. When you hear that, don't, don't you think, wow, that, that sounds a lot like Jonah's psalm. But it's, it's more than just that. In Psalm 42, we actually read this line. All your waves and your breakers have gone over me. Do you realize that this is the exact same line that is in Jonah chapter 2, verse 4? What's my point? Throughout the Psalms, the language of sinking in the water, feeling like you can't find your footing, like the waves are about to overwhelm you, they're sweeping over you, is used all over the place by God's people to describe many experiences in life when we feel like we're far from God or like we're all alone, like there's no hope, like we've been forsaken or forgotten. 
like the bars of death are closing in on us. Like we've got what we wanted and we finally realize it wasn't what I wanted after all. This song is written down in scripture, not for Jonah's instruction, but for ours. Remember, brothers and sisters, God is never so far away that he cannot hear. God is never so far away that he cannot see. When you feel like you're drowning, look up to God. As another psalm says, God can lift us up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He can set our feet on a rock and give us a firm place to stand. And when God does that for you, shout it out to those around you. Testify to others of God's saving power. Even to God's people, shout it out with thankfulness because that testimony may be exactly what they need to hear to give them the push that they need to look up once again to the true God who made them and still loves them. And then lastly, the other, the other big idea I want to leave us with today is I just want to, I want to help us see that Jonah's experience foreshadows the greater experience of Jesus. Now, there are a ton of differences, right, between Jonah and Jesus, especially in that Jonah's experience was because of his sin. Jesus's experience was because of our sin. But the bottom line is that the scriptures teach us that Jonah's experience of feeling forsaken by God, of coming right to the gates of the grave of Sheol, of being swallowed up by the fish for three days and three nights, and then of being brought back to the land of the living by the power of God. That is just a foretaste of what Jesus himself experienced. Jesus was forsaken by his father on the cross. He, in fact, breathed his last. Jesus' dead body was laid in the tomb. But God the Father, through his Holy Spirit, raised up our Lord Jesus from the dead on the third day, not in disgrace with vomit all over him like Jonah, but with a new glorified body. And through that resurrection, God has confirmed to us all that Jesus is exactly who he claimed he was. The one greater than Jonah the one greater than David, the powerful son of God. And in that way, the story of Jonah gives us categories to think about the coming of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the, the burial in the tomb, and most of all, the earth-changing resurrection of Jesus on the third day. This is at least part of what Jesus was talking about when he said that there would be no sign given to the evil generation of his day other than the sign 
of Jonah. And if people listen to the preaching of Jonah, the one who'd been brought back to the land of the living, how much more important is it for us to listen to the message of Jesus? Look to Jesus this morning to rescue you, to save you, to deliver you, since Jesus is the one who has tasted death for every one of us and who has been raised from the dead never to die again.